You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Youth and Young Adults Minister, Kirk McKenzie. Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 to 18. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need like some people letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ the result of our ministry written not we think, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us Competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit of the letter, but for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to to God. G'day, everyone. Now, just as I start the talk today, just wanted to let you know, I have had a bit of a cough uh, recently. I've been tested, COVID clear. Uh, So that's good news. Did think it was a bit of overkill that our cameraman's wearing a full hazmat suit, but these are unique times. Actually, unique times call for unique things to happen. In particular, we've got a bunch of new rules, a bunch of new laws in our society at the moment. So in our city, city of Melbourne, we've got a whole bunch of extra laws uh, to do with the coronavirus just to keep us all safe and to stop the coronavirus from spreading and making a whole bunch of people sick. And it's interesting to see how enthusiastically or not people have been embracing these laws. There's kind of a spectrum, isn't there? 
Some people have really embraced the laws wholeheartedly, other people more resistant, and you're probably somewhere on that spectrum. Some people just love laws, love being obedient to the laws, and in fact, go over and above what's required. You know, just not, you've been told you need to sing happy birthday while you wash your hands. You go, no, no, I'm going to sing the national anthem, all the verses, just to be extra sure. I'm going to put the mail in quarantine for 14 days before I open it. I'm just really into the law. I'm going to go over and above what's required. And down the other end, I mean, we had the hardcore lawbreakers, you know, just partying down the beach, you know, rich people having house parties up in the mountains, etc. But then there's the people who, it's not necessarily that they're blatantly breaking the law, but, and this might be you, or maybe you're related to someone like this, they're doing everything they can to twist and manipulate these new rules to get around them or to bend, just to stretch them and to do as much as they can uh, to resist following them or to, you know, to get as much freedom within those new restrictions as they possibly can. And we're all sort of along the spectrum one way or the other on these things. But it's not just to do with the coronavirus restrictions. This is the way it works in life. Uh, we do this with like sporting rules, uh, with, you know, rules around the house. Uh, and we also do it with Christianity. You know, when people get the Bible, uh, it depends on your personality what you're going to do with the commands of God. So if you're new to Christianity, I want to let you know, in this book, which we believe God inspired to be written, there are some commands. God says, I want you to definitely do these things. And there's some things that God says, I definitely don't want you to do those things. But what often happens is people get in there and if you love rules and love following rules, people start finding some extra rules in there that, that maybe weren't intended to be there. Uh, and, you know, and, finding, and then adding some extra stuff in there and getting through and interpreting things that maybe weren't meant to be rules, just some guidelines or an illustration, but making rules out of them. But likewise, down the other end, there's people who, anytime there's a command, like, I need to find a way around that. I'm going to find a special interpretation or, uh, you know, kick those bits out of the Bible or just, just reject the whole thing entirely because we don't want to follow the rules. So there's a spectrum there as well when it comes to being obedient to God. And that's what today's chapter uh, talks about a fair bit, is how do we be obedient to God in a healthy way? The author of the book of 2 Corinthians, well, there's two authors really, there's Paul and Timothy, two highly influential uh, leaders in the early church. Now, Timothy was Paul's apprentice, right? So Paul is like the senior writer, I guess. His voice is more prevalent in the writing. And his personal experience seems to come out quite strongly in this letter. You see, in Paul's personal life, he's a real person, uh, you know, real person in real history. He lived an old life, which was a bit more like those people who are obsessed with the rules. And he wanted to be obedient to God, but he did it in a way that led to a lot of judgmentalism, uh, legalism, hatred, and violence in his life. But then he met Jesus. Jesus turned his life around, showed him a better way, showed him a new way of still being obedient to God, but in a way that brought hope and life and freedom. And these are the things he talked about in the passage we had read for us today from chapter 3. Paul talks about hope and life and freedom. And when he writes to the church in the city of Corinth 2,000 years ago, he wants those followers of Jesus that he's writing to, and I would argue he wants followers of Jesus today, 
people like me and possibly you watching today. He wants us to not go the way that he used to live that led to legalism and hatred and judgmentalism. He doesn't want us to live like that. He wants us to embrace this new way of living a life that is obedient to God. Now, one of the ways he talks about that is using the terms old covenant and new covenant. Now, that's not exactly terms we use a lot in regular you know, conversation, everyday conversation. So what I've done is I've found an animation from the guys over at the, Bible, at the Bible Project. They've put a little animation together about covenants, what covenants are and how they work in the Bible. And so we're going to watch that now. And in the description of the video down below, we've linked to the Bible Project YouTube channel and their website because they've got a whole bunch of other great stuff that I would definitely recommend checking out and we appreciate their generosity in sharing the video with us today. Let's check it out now. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend or your father or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. 
The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who is able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. Okay, so as you see in that video, there's covenants that happen pre-Jesus, and then there's a new covenant that happens when Jesus arrives. Now I'm going to summarize in this talk all the covenants that happened before Jesus as the old covenant. And it's not like the old covenant was bad. Even in today's chapter, which does have some criticisms of the old covenant, it's still described in one way or another as glorious six times. And but then we look at the writings of people who lived in Old Covenant times, we see that they really appreciated it and that they loved the laws that God gave them. If you go to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament and you read some of the songs that reflect on God's law, you'll see that the guys who wrote those songs, they loved God's law. Like, if those guys went to high school with me, we would have said, why don't you marry God's law if you love it so much? They were seriously into God's law. But what this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says to us is when you compare the old covenant with the new covenant, it pales in comparison. In fact, you might as well not make the comparison. The new covenant is way, way better. Why? Well, it comes down to the whole rules factor, the, our ability to follow 
laws, to follow God's law in particular. Obviously, we mentioned at the start of the talk that some of us humans, we just don't like following any laws and we'll just push against them and we, there's a rule there, I'm going to find a way to break it. But also, let's be honest, even if we're down the other end and we tend to be the sort of person who loves to follow the law and follow the rules, we're going to stuff up. At some point, out of weakness or ignorance, um, just being tired uh, or just you know, not wanting to, we are going to fail at keeping the law, particularly God's standards, which were very high. And so the old covenant, those laws were great, but no one, no human being could keep them 100%. Uh, we were all going to fail from time to time. And so the new covenant comes along, as it shows in the video, Jesus comes along and he is faithful to the covenant 100%. He is that perfectly faithful covenant partner that humanity was unable to be. Yeah, we were able to be that partner with God sometimes, but Jesus is able to be that partner all the time. And so the new covenant that Jesus brings along says brings righteousness. That means being in a right relationship with God. It gives life and it brings freedom. And so the new covenant is not based in law as much as it is based in grace. Grace is undeserved, unearned, loving gift. That's what God gives us, his grace. Um, now, grace did exist in the old covenant. Okay, so it's not like it's totally new. God was loving, he was merciful, and he forgave people in the old covenant. It was definitely there. But in the new covenant, it's like grace is shoved right into the spotlight. Grace takes center stage in the person of Jesus Christ. Obedience is still important, absolutely. It's not like following God's commands is suddenly just chucked out. But it, it's got a different emphasis. Suddenly the emphasis is now that we are in good relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. Because God loves us and because he's gracious, and before we've done anything to deserve his love, he's shown us love and he's engaged us through Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus gives us his spirit to live inside us. And then the spirit of God helps us to live in obedience to him and helps us to live that life that God wants us to live. And so this whole chapter, chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, is basically saying, now that we have the new covenant, now that Jesus has come, why go back? Why would we go back to old covenant ways when we have a better new covenant. And if you're watching today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're checking out Christianity, it's great to have you. Um, thanks for watching. You may have heard, picked up from TV, movies, or just roundabout, that Christianity is about rules, that it's about following a bunch of moral and spiritual rules. And as I said at the start, there are a bunch of commands. God does want us to do some things and doesn't want us to do other things. I want to be completely upfront about that. But that's not the main game. The heart of Christianity, the heart of following Jesus is grace. That before we did anything, good or bad, before we followed one single law that God has given us, he loved us. And he demonstrated that through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And what he wants from us before anything else 
is for us to put our trust in Jesus. That's really important. That's the heart of everything we believe. And if you take one thing away from the talk today, that's what I want you to take away. So, living as new covenant people is essential. That's what we want to do. Don't go back to the old covenant ways. Now, how do we do that? Let's sort of get more practical as we head towards the end of the talk. I want to pick up the idea here of the veil. You know, the, you know they talk about this a fair bit in the, in the passage. The veil um, language might have confused you. Like, what's going on there? Why are they talking about the veil? And so, um, fair enough, if, you, if you're not familiar with the story that's been referenced, it probably wouldn't have made any sense. So let me unpack it a little bit for us. So, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and then in verse 13, it says this, We, referring to followers of Jesus, are not like Moses. Moses uh, lived pre-Jesus, one of the most famous Jewish leaders. Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. So a veil, just being you know, a bit of cloth uh, that you, know, you hang over your face that would block people from seeing your face. Uh, sometimes brides, uh, n- not all the time, but sometimes in weddings, brides wear a veil over their face at the start of the wedding and at some point during the wedding they take it off. Um, but you might have seen veils in other situations as well. And you go, okay... What's this a reference to? Well, in Moses' time, he was the spokesperson for God. And so the deal was, he'd go up to the top of the mountain, he'd hang out with God, he'd have a chat with God, and God would say, this is the message I want you to take down to the people. So Moses would come back down the mountain, and he'd share the message. But the thing was, when he'd come down, he'd still be, he'd be shining, like God's brilliance, uh, the presence of God made him all shiny. And so people couldn't look directly at Moses because he was too bright. I don't know if you've ever looked directly at the sun. Uh, I have once. I don't recommend it. <laughs> it's really painful. It's not a good thing to do. Uh, but it's a bit, Moses must have been a bit like that. Like, oh, the sun's so bright, can't look at, directly at him. So to help people, you know, not be blinded when he was around, he put a veil over his head. But When it came time to actually share the message of God, you know, and and tell them what God had said, he'd take the veil off. So it's like, shiny Moses, I'm speaking God's words. Veiled Moses, I'm just back to normal old Moses talking about Moses stuff. Bit of a weird story, a bit of a weird life situation for Moses to be in. (laughs) Apparently the shininess wore off after a little while, but then every time he went back up to talk to God again, the shininess came back. Anyway, so this is what the story that's being referenced. Uh, Then we pick it up again in verse 14. But their minds were made dull. And this is a reference to the fact that even though the Israelites were experiencing amazing miracles all the time, uh, at that particular point in history, they often didn't do what God told them to do and often made some pretty bad decisions. For to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed... Because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, which would have been hundreds of years after Moses, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. What they're saying there is that they were basically disappointed with people who were just stuck in the old covenant ways. People who just weren't acknowledging what Jesus had achieved. 
who weren't living in the new freedom that Jesus had brought to the world. And that basically saying it was like they were spiritually and mentally blind, you know, walking around with veiled minds. And they just don't want people to be like that. It's not a good way to live. Not a good way for us to live either. And so I've got two tips for us just as we finish today on things we can do just to make sure that we don't have veiled minds and we don't have veiled hearts and that we are embracing all the good stuff that Jesus has got to give us. So here's my first tip. Let's make sure that we read the old covenant as context for the new covenant. Now, you might go, ah, it's Old Testament and New Testament. But interestingly, uh, the Old Testament section of the Bible and the New Testament section of the Bible, they mean Old Covenant and New Covenant. They basically mean the same thing. So when we refer to the Old Testament, we're basically saying the Old Covenant. When we refer to the New Testament, we're basically saying the New Covenant. Now, what I'm saying is the Old Testament or the Old Covenant is context for the New Testament. It sets the, sets the foundation for it, um, but they are very different. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration for it. It's not a perfect illustration. Most illustrations aren't, uh, but hopefully it'll help you get a bit of an understanding of how this works. So I used to study media quite a long time ago. And when I was, we were learning how to design web pages, websites. And at that point, we were learning to do it purely in code. By that I mean we still made websites that had images and sound and buttons and links and all the things that we've got on websites at the moment, uh, similar to what you're, you know, you're watching, on, watching this on a website, YouTube, at the moment. But the way we designed it was all just by typing in letters, numbers, and symbols. That was it. Um, and so it was a pretty boring, arduous way to build a website. It could still build something pretty spectacular to look at and very creative, but the actual way of building it, the program that you used, was very sort of simple and, uh, you know, pretty dull sort of way of doing it. Now, people started creating new programs that were much better to use. You could use your mouse, or if you had a touchscreen, you could use a touchscreen, just dropping in images. It was much more efficient, much more creative, much more effective way of building a website. And when we do work on our St. John's website at the moment, we use those sort of programs because they're way better. That said, every now and then, the code knowledge that I have from all those years ago still comes in useful because behind all that stuff is still some code. Um, all websites are still built on letters and numbers and symbols. And so every now and then, the new programs, they don't quite make sense. There's something just not quite working the way we want it to or they're not behaving quite in the way we expected. And so that's when it's useful to go back to the code and have a look at it, and, and that'll give you a deeper understanding of what's going on. Now, in a similar way, and as I said, it's not a perfect example, the Old Testament helps us to be new covenant people more effectively. We need to live out the teaching of the New Testament. We need to be followers of Jesus, not of the Old Testament teaching. But the, uh, a deep understanding of the Old Testament and all that God did before Jesus arrived and all that he set up is going to deepen our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to have a far greater appreciation of the New Covenant if we understand the Old Covenant. 
Because remember, and that video is really helpful, and I encourage you to go and watch it again. Jesus didn't come along and go, oh, chuck that old rubbish out. It's useless. Get rid of it. What a, that was all dumb. No, he doesn't say that. He comes along and he fulfills the old covenant perfectly and then brings in the new covenant and sort of takes it to the next level. So he's not rejecting the old covenant. He's just kind of completing it. So they're not two completely separate things that compete and clash. They're very complementary. So the more we understand about the old covenant, the better we're going to understand how to live out the new covenant. That's my first tip. Here's my second tip. And that is, let's not do what was clearly a bit of an issue for the Corinthian church, in the sense that there was obviously a group in that church that as they were trying to head forward and follow Jesus, there was a group that was trying to get them to turn back and to go backwards, and to be old covenant people again. And there's always this temptation as humans to turn back to some old habits and to turn back to unhelpful ways of our past. It will be tempting, because at the time of recording, we've got this global pandemic going on. And it will be tempting to look back to the time before the coronavirus was a thing and just think that, wow, times before that, were amazing like it was some sort of incredible the world was just an incredible utopia before the coronavirus arrived that everything was perfect and we just want things to go back to normal because that's when life was good that's when everything was great and look there were some great things that were happening then that we can't do at the moment i totally acknowledge that but also there was plenty of things about the world before the coronavirus that sucked there was plenty of things about my life and your life that were no good. So why would we go back to normal when we could look forward to a new normal that's better? Why would we not continue to look forward to something that's better? Verse 18, the last verse of this uh, chapter. Let's have a look at that. It says, And we all, who with unveiled faces... Contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image, into the image of Jesus, with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This idea of being um, just constantly transformed into the image of Jesus. Why would we not seek a future where that is more true next year than it was last year? Why would we not seek a future? where we are in a stronger, gracious relationship with Jesus going into the future than we were in the past. The temptation will be to look back and as restrictions get lifted, to drop back into bad habits, to just drop back into unhelpful old ways. But we have an opportunity right now to keep looking forward and to come out of these restrictions a lot stronger in our faith and in our relationships with other people. I'm going to pray for us now. As I do that, I'm going to read verse 17, which is the verse that's really stuck out to me the most as I've studied this passage over the last few weeks. Uh, it's an encouraging one because it just speaks of, of freedom and the great uh, benefits that we get of being followers of Jesus. So let's pray. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Lord Jesus, I just invite you now, uh, wherever people are watching this, 
around the world, that you would be active in our hearts and minds right now. We know that you're everywhere all the time. So we invite you in the name of Jesus just to be getting involved in our lives as, we, as I speak right now. Set us free from addictions, from bad habits, from veiled thinking of our past and help us to embrace life and hope and freedom that Jesus has to offer. Amen. Next in our service, one of our church members, Neil Bland, is going to share a song. Uh, it's an old hymn that he sort of reworked into something more contemporary. It's going to be a bit more of an item, so it's not sort of a song that you're going to sing along with. There won't be words on the screen. It's more of an opportunity for you to sit and enjoy the music and to listen uh, to the words that he shares with us. And I encourage you to use it as a good opportunity to reflect uh, and uh, to connect with the Holy Spirit and to engage your relationship with Jesus. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.